This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we discuss computing, new technology, the internet, uh, all of the fun stuff. Uh, I'll be on the show tonight, obviously, I'm Warren Davies, and joining me uh, behind the desk, it's Joe Eaton. How are you, Joe? Doing well. How are you? Pretty good, in fact. Pretty good. Uh, if you talk to anyone uh, about the role of a prison sentence in the life of a person, uh, there's quite often a tension between uh, the role of punishment and rehabilitation. Um, access to computers and what that means for prisoners is uh, an ongoing debate uh, for the legal system. Um, and if you look at uh, solutions around the country, um, it's a little bit different. Um, in a statement from the Community Justice Coalition last month, uh, it was said, uh, computers would enable delivery of domestic violence and de-radicalisation counselling, education and legal aid services safely and efficiently. Uh, kind of makes sense, doesn't it, um, that um, people who need access to information should be able to access a computer. Uh, tonight we'll talk with Community Justice Coalition President and former New South Wales Attorney General, uh, the Honourable John Dowd, uh, on the issue. If you like sharing stuff, uh, you're probably not alone, uh, though I don't like sharing top deck I found last night. I just scoffed the whole packet. Um, so I wouldn't have been sharing that stuff. But cars, houses, tools, bikes, um, why own them uh, when you can share them? Uh, Australia has a super little peer-to-peer uh, -peer business scene and government uh, around the country is looking to do its bit to support growth in this area, uh, including supporting the Sharing Hub. Um, Sharing Hub uh, began recently with 28 young and startup stage uh, organisations and we'll be having a chat with Michael Rosenbaum, uh, who's one of the founders of the Sharing Hub, a little bit later in the show. But before we have those chats, uh, there is uh, a bit to talk about, um, what's been going on. Uh, if you have been living under a rock or uh, in your Netflix, um, we had a budget this week. Um, did you catch any of the budget, Joe, or did you kind of run and hide? Or I was so busy looking for songs last night that I completely forgot about it. And then oh. I woke up this morning to lots of enraged people worrying about their Centrelink status with drug testing and things yeah. like that. where are my dollars? Yeah. That, that was a strange one. Um, that was never going to sort of sit well with, with most people, the, the drug testing stuff. But um, in terms of technology, it, it probably wasn't the um, uh, catastrophe that we've had in recent years. Um, I think uh, the headline for, for this year's budget was all about choice. We need to make choices, um, which seems a good start um, for allocating money, make a choice. Um uh, so, yeah, I, I guess um, there have been some terrible budgets for science and technology in recent years, but um, this one, you probably have to look uh, a little bit deeper. Um, I guess some of the things that we wanted to talk about was um, uh, a few other things. There's interesting stuff around the NBN and um, mobile black spots, so making sure that uh, everyone out there does get access uh, um, to, to what they need. Um, High-speed broadband at affordable prices and the continuation of the mobile black spot program um, are some of the plans for rural and regional Australia um, that were revealed in the, uh, in the budget um, by Scott Morrison. Um, there's uh, $29.5 in equity um, in the National Broadband Network. Um, and, yeah, there's uh, a lot being invested there. But um, I think the important thing is that um, fixed line, fixed wireless satellite infrastructure um, is going to get um, a good boost, which is nice. Um, I still don't have NBN. and uh, I don't know. Do you know many people with NBN right now? I didn't realise how many people don't have it because oh. I've been living in my right. little um, nice... Brunswick East slash Carlton yeah. North bubble. Yeah, right. 
Oh, no, there's heaps of, heaps of yeah. people in Melbourne don't have it. I, I kind of feel, oh, I guess we could check um, during the show, maybe when we um, play a track, but there's heaps of people who don't have yeah, it. Yeah, it only it's, occurred um, to me recently that it was such a big deal. Mm. One of the other interesting things that came up uh, from a, a tech point of view was um, taxation on cryptocurrencies. Um, so from 2017, Bitcoin and other digital currency will no longer be taxed twice uh, in Australia. Um, uh, to date, um, you are actually liable for um, GST on purchases made um, with um, cryptocurrencies. So, um, yeah, as part of their um, innovation and fintech fact sheet, uh, the uh, federal government have released uh, a new policy on taxation uh, towards Bitcoin um, below certain thresholds. So that's not a bad idea. Um, basically, it's just regular dollars. Um, so, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of places out there do trade exclusively in Bitcoin and um, uh, makes a lot of sense there that the law is catching up with um, the reality for uh, a lot of startups and uh, technology companies. Have you ever bought a Bitcoin? I haven't. No. Did you did you get offers from people to sort of join in and start mining and so forth? Remember there was that mining boom where, you know, hey, let me just lasso my, your computer to my mining team here. No, but mm. I only, listening to the show last week, mm. someone was saying that it takes um, more energy to uh, in terms of computing power to create mm. a Bitcoin than just about everything. Yeah. So it's not very environmentally friendly. No, it's not. You wouldn't do it from an environmental point of view. Um, anyway, we will um, perhaps put up a, a few links to some interesting things around uh, technology and the budget. But um, yeah, on, on the whole, uh, I guess people are still um, still talking their way through it um, at the moment. Um one of the other things that we did want to talk about is uh, there has recently been a court order made for Facebook to terminate hate speech. Um, an Austrian court ruled yesterday that Facebook must take down posts identified as hate speech in a case brought by the country's Green Party uh, over insults to its leader. Um, the interesting twist in this ruling is that uh, the court is not only asking for Facebook to take down content in Austria, but to actually remove it from the platform globally, um, which um, I guess from Facebook's perspective may be overreaching their uh, authority. Um, yeah, so uh, it's an interesting precedent if um, other uh, European countries um, get behind uh, Austria, um, if they're if there is a um, groundswell of support for an action like this, uh, Facebook may may have to take further action and, and do more to, to sort of mitigate the effect of hate speech um, online. Um, it is interesting. It's, uh, I guess, been a, a tough um, 10 days for them. Um, it's, this court case came out uh, about a week after... Uh, a leaked documents in The Australian showed that Facebook Australia and New Zealand uh, were claimed to be able to target teenagers at the most vulnerable moments. So um, I don't actually use them, but there's um, those features where you can sort of explain how you're feeling at the moment, like feeling feeling sad, feeling vulnerable, feeling so forth. Um, so that information has actually been, uh, according to leaked reports, onsold um, to advertisers who may want to target um, young people um, at the most vulnerable or feeling angry or... Um, or what have you. So it's interesting. I did when I when I read that. I remember feeling that um, uh, it it makes a lot of sense in some ways that um, if if someone's going to flog something to you, that it should be kind of in the right way and and when you need it. But um, the scary thing about it is we're just not used to that level of um, data interrogation by large corporations such as Facebook. So it at a at a mere fact sense it makes a lot of sense that things like that might happen but are we ready for it and it's probably just one of those weird things where people move a lot slower than technology and our attitudes and um the big sort of ethical debate around that moves a lot slower than um the engineers at facebook i guess joe i was always wondering what level of advertiser 
was granted access to mm. this sort of targeting because I worked two mm. and a half years creating Facebook ads mm. for um, smaller businesses. So we mm. were kind of a reseller of Facebook ads mm. and we never had access to information like this. No, I think it's... And know, targeting... Really, yeah, yeah, really top tier kind yeah. of stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I kind of like the idea if you're feeling sporty that... Um, one of the shoe brands would sort of pop up and say, hey, here's, here's a pair of things. Like, it feels kind of relevant. Like, technolo- technologically, it's okay. Um, but I think that the ethics of um, should we be able to do that and uh, under what circumstances and perhaps they just be transparent about something like that. I think if they just put it out there and say, hey, we think we should be able to do this, would you like to do this? Um, Transparency is key for that stuff, I think. Absolutely. Um, one of the other uh, areas where transparency um, is uh, under question is um, around um, the the nude pictures that um, people are sending to each other out there. What's what's going on here, Joe? So a survey of um, over 4,000 people by RMIT and Monash researchers found that one in five Australians have experienced image-based abuse. So that means that uh, sexual images of them have been taken, shared or been th- threatened to be shared without their consent. That's a huge amount of people. Yeah, yeah. But it, actually when you when you come to marginalised groups uh, such as Indigenous people or um, disabled people, one in two are wow. affected. Yeah. So younger people and um, LGBTQ people also face a higher risk of um, image-based abuse. Uh, the... Chief investigator for MIT, Dr. Nicola Henry, says that the laws and policies are struggling to catch up as these technologies for sharing images develop. Um, She said um, in a statement on Monday, this isn't just about revenge porn. Images are being used to control, abuse and humiliate people in ways that go well beyond the relationship gone sour scenario. So the researchers have um, said that they urge these social media companies to take more action around these things that are happening and they also urge uh, support services to um, step up and um, be available for those who find themselves the subjects of these these abuses. A lot of people would be actually embarrassed to seek out that kind of support um, for, for something like that. Yeah. Like it seems such a, a seem, I mean, for some people it would seem quite trivial, but um, it has a, it can have a huge impact on um, on your life. You, if you can imagine the reach that um, we all have with with our networks and so forth, what uh, the wrong image can do in the wrong hands. Absolutely. Interesting. One of the um, bits of advice in the article was that if you don't send these, um, it's much harder for uh, people to obviously get their hands on them. So. But I just find that a bit slut shamey, really. Yeah. Yeah. So like you should be able to do these things and not have. The yes. threat of of mm. people sharing them. Mm. We'll leave it up. We'll leave it up to you, um, dear listener, as to um, what what your approach will be. But um, yeah, interesting nonetheless. Um, speaking of big kind of B news, um, we've had budgets. Uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Oh um, Joe, my we're, goodness! We're having a look at this last night. The the trailer uh, is out for the film that you didn't know you needed. Um, what what was your initial impression? I just I. I <laughs> I had a bit of a rant about it, didn't I? I was, you did have a bit of a rant. I did have a bit of a rant. What was the what was the well, rant? I think Talk us number it. one was um, Jared Leto. Mm. Just I, yeah, um, he's got some weird contacts going on. He, he looks like he needs cataract surgery. Yeah. Uh, number two, why? Um, and number three, it looks like it doesn't really have any of the beautiful, dark, brooding atmosphere. No, it's kind of um, a, a lot more sort of CGI. They've got. Um, I think 
some of the the tones. Um, so the, the yeah. color scheme and the and the score the, seems great. And like, there's some bones to the original film, but um, yeah, I, I don't know um, how much of Ryan Gosling staring sort of yeah. like he's like he's trying to focus on his thumb in a in a eye test or something like that. I can put up with. Um, I I thought Harrison Ford still got it, but you said that he was running strangely he in was, your opinion. He was running strangely. He, he, he runs like he still thinks he's a young man. Um, but um, yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I'm probably going to check it out. Um, I, I, I love the, the original film and um, I would suspend disbelief for a, a little while to, to go and check this one out. Um, we might even hear uh, a little bit, but um, yeah, I don't know. Jury's out on this one. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the new Blade Runner. Hey, if, uh, if you've ever thought um, or taken your um, computer privileges uh, for granted, uh, there is uh, a lot of Australians out there right now who would love to have uh, a laptop uh, in front of them, um, and there's good reasons for that. Uh, the Community Justice Coalition um, is uh, out there um, making some noise um, for the computer privileges of um, prisoners uh, around Australia, um, specifically for... Uh, I guess, delivery of um, services, information, training um, and rehabilitation um, uh, during their sentence. We're now joined uh, on the phone uh, by Community Justice Coalition President uh, John Dowd. John, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, so I, I would have assumed, uh, without knowing too much about this, that most prisoners would have access to computers at some point. Um, is, that, is that just not true? Yes, that's true. Uh, most prisons, or a lot of prisons, have uh, facilities that during certain hours, and remember, prisoners are locked down for a very large percentage of the day, uh, you know, up to uh, uh, 16 hours, 17 hours. Um, there are computers available for them uh, to access, but... Um, to access them for dealing with their own legal matters or dealing with educational matters, uh, that's nowhere near enough. Mm. So uh, what's the, the status of access to computers around uh, Australia? Is it a, a state-based um, situation or is there um, a position that the federal government has and um, the, 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 the minister there? Prisons are... Uh, state matters, largely state and territory matters. Um, the ACT has had computers in prisons for some nine years, and uh, Queensland and the Northern Territory are looking at them. Uh, I suspect that there are places around the other states where they're looking at them, but there's no present program to install them. Mm. I, I was wondering today whether many people would have, even just from a, a life skills point of view, whether people who've um, been um, under sentences for um, predating the internet, sort of going back even to sort of mainstream acceptance of it in, in the 90s, um, life is so different um, to um, the way it was sort of 15, 20 years ago, uh, or even a little bit longer. Is it um, is that the case? Is there a lot of people out there that just don't even know what we're doing um, uh, online these days, and um, it's a real Only struggle for them? A small percentage. Most mm. uh, prison sentences are relatively short, mm. and uh, those who've been there a long time, obviously, there's no point. Mm. Um, who for people who are not inclined or don't have the intellectual ability to use computers, mm. um, and the same is true of even quite young people, a lot of them 
don't have the intellectual skills um, uh, to uh, use them, and it's obviously not going to be for them. Mm. But uh, the majority of prison sentences are short, uh, and people all, almost all of them get out back into the community. Mm. So I understand one of the uh, limitations on um, more widespread adoption of computers in prisons is um, budgetary and uh, um, staff training and, and so forth. But um, looking at your website for, for the Community Justice Coalition, um, they seem such small amounts and such trivial sort of blockages for, for um, access to these kinds of services. What, why, is, why is such small um, uh, hurdles being put in prisoners' ways? Well, um, I mean, some governments may be disinclined to provide computers for prisoners. Um, some uh, are as conscious of the need for rehabilitation. I mean, our main concern is a very high percentage of people who've served time uh, get out and, and get out and commit crime again. Uh, if we can reduce the extent of recidivism, that is, return to crime because they've been educated in a trade or have started an education course that will get them earning money. Um, the benefit to the community in, A, the community's uh, protection, B, police time, C, court time, is massive. Mm. That's, what, that's what we're concerned about. We want as many people as we can using their time in prison to rehabilitate themselves, to get a skill uh, that they might not otherwise have had. I, I remember years ago visiting a foundry near a prison and they had something like uh, 15 out of 19 prisoners who'd gone there on work release who were still employed there after their sentences were finished because they found they could earn good money and good skills. Um, that's what we want. Mm. Is it is it the the sort of thing where um, the electoral cycle determines these things? So um, state governments get up on a on a you know tough on crime, um, tough on prisoners kind of platform, and then that sets places like Community Justice Coalition back uh, a few years. It's interesting to think that um, it can be so black and white, surely within um, categories of uh, prisoners and types of crimes and so forth, access to computers should should be fairly easy to figure those things out. Certain prisoners should have access to computers and certain prisoners shouldn't, perhaps. Is, is that your but, position? But no, uh, that's a matter for the corrective services. It uh, doesn't matter what the crime is, mm. um, properly supervised uh, computers will enable counselling services educational services legal advice a whole range of things because the sentence is determined partly by the offence but by the sentencing judge it may be a mix of offences um, and uh, we don't send people to prison for punishment we send it to them as punishment and to get them to learn courses. They're doing courses all the time within mm. the prisons and uh, some of them help them to stop reoffending. Mm. I, I note that the uh, Chief Justice of the Family Court of Australia, um, the Honourable Elizabeth uh, Evett, um, noted that it could reduce um, domestic violence recidivism by up to 30%, which surely is a huge um, benefit to, to all of society. 
That's right. There's quite a number of people in prison for breach of domestic violence orders. Um, and the more we can educate in that area, uh, the better it will be. And uh, the benefits, because every offender uh, has wives, girlfriends, whatever, children, uh, siblings, uh, it affects a lot of people. And uh, the more we can uh, do to prevent offences, uh, the better it is. Hmm. So is, is there a, um, a, a way that if people are interested in um, uh, getting involved here or uh, I guess um, writing to their MP or, or doing something, how, how can we affect a change um, in this space? Um, they've got to follow the issue themselves, um, get on talkbacks, talk to their MPs and so on. Um, I mean, politically, uh, law and order means uh, no one cares about prisoners. Um, they're still human beings, and many of them, having committed an offence, um, never commit an offence again. Uh, the assumption that people are inherently bad is an invalid assumption, so that we need to um, make sure that prisoners are given the opportunity to rehabilitate uh, and get back into the community. Mm. Interesting. Well, yeah, I, I'm... Uh, uh I'm amazed it's such a, um, a, a mire of kind of complexity. Um, it, it seems to make sense to me that, um, that people should be given access to computers um, and uh, it's better for everyone as a result. But um, yeah. we, shall, we shall follow this with uh, interest, John. Thank you and thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to talk about it to your listeners. No, no trouble at all. We, uh, we hope you have a good night and, uh, yeah, keep us, uh, keep us up to date. Thank you. Uh, if you like borrowing stuff, uh, sharing stuff, um, if you like the idea that um, we don't all need to own our own things and um, there's plenty of good ways that we can um, share the stuff around, um, you might be interested to hear from our next guest. Um, Mike Rosenbaum is one of the co-founders of The Sharing Hub, uh, Australia's first sharing economy hub opened by the Minister of Innovation and Better Regulation, uh, Matt Keane, um, I think in New South Wales last month. Uh, and we are now joined uh, on the phone by Mike himself. Uh, how are you this evening? Great. Thanks very much for having me on your show, Warren and Joe. No, not at all. Um, so Australians do like to share stuff around um, uh, for hundreds of years. It's kind of been the idea that um, if someone's got something, you can borrow it. Um, I'm sure I've had lawnmowers for much longer than I should have had um, from um, generous neighbours in the past. Um, what is it about Australia and um, sharing that uh, works so well, do you think, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think, you know, we we really have a great community spirit here in Australia. Um, you know, as you say, from people, you know, going next door to, you know, sharing the, uh, you know, if you run out of sugar, you can go borrow it for your neighbour. But I guess really what the sharing economy is about is, um, you know, allowing people to tap into underutilised assets and, and, and services um, that sit, you know, dormant around us, um, you know, whether it's cars, you know, I think the stat is something like 96% of the time cars just sit idle, whether that's on the street or in the driveway. You know, you know, why can't we tap into those assets that already um, exist? We don't need to keep creating more and more. Mm. Um, let's 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 share these assets that sit around us. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, have we been good at um, setting up uh, these kinds of um, uh, sharing services and infrastructure, or is that something that um, we need need a bit of help with? Or 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's growing very rapidly. Um, you know, I'm from New South Wales, and you know, the stat that was just released by Deloitte in the last couple of weeks was that the sharing economy in New South Wales grew by 68% in the last year, so it grew um, by over $1 billion in the last 12 months alone. So that's phenomenal, just in one state of mm. Australia. So, um, it, look, it certainly is early days in the sharing economy here in Australia, but, um, you know, this, this, this shift in consumer behaviour... Um, is really taking shape, and, um, and and that's why we launched the Sharing Hub. We're really excited about it. We're all very passionate about it, um, and um, you know, there's over 28 um, startups uh, within our group um, that are doing all sorts of cool things, um, allowing people to share different resources and and, and services. Mm. Um, and it's um, yeah, Australians are really embracing it. Do we uh, are we very trusting? Like, do we um, are we just quite happy to like here's here's my set of tools or here's my shed or you know, here's my car? Um, is is that um, are we faster to adopt than pl- other places around the world? Or yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, Warren. Um, I mean, certainly trust is right at the centre of um, what makes the sharing economy successful and um, you know, building trust. So certainly things like you know um, user review, peer review are very important. Um, you know, being able to have um, rich profiles. Um, but certainly what we're finding is that um, people are happy to, to trust each other. And, um, and, in fact, people trust other people more than they trust corporations. Um, and generally people do the right thing and, and sort of do the right thing by their neighbours and by other people in their community. Of course, you have to have... Um, safety nets and, and, and you know, peace of mind, like you know, insurance policies and things like that in place, depending on what you are sharing, particularly if it's large assets like you know, property and vehicles and things like that. Um, but um, largely, you know, these networks are self-regulating in terms of the reviews and, and ratings. Um, and I guess you know, um, we've all you know, been using um, marketplaces like eBay and Etsy and Amazon to many, many years, decades now. Um, so we're used to sort of, um, uh, you know, reading reviews and, 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 and um, doing the right thing. Mm. It's interesting. I, 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 maybe something that you're not too keen to have a chat about, but I, I always wonder what happens when things go wrong in these um, uh, systems because um, you so very rarely hear about it. And you're right, generally the review systems and um, the fact that people want to come back next week and use it again is a good way to, to keep people in. But does, does that happen very often? Do, do cars go missing? Do things just not happen? Um, is there any kind of problem in the, in the sharing economy with stuff just not working out? Look, from time to time, and it really is a, a small fraction of, of 1% that, that um, things do, you know, stuff happens. Mm. Um, and that's really the beauty of using a, a trusted marketplace because generally the reason that the marketplace exists is because they provide a level of guarantee for the users of that platform. Mm. They'll, they'll provide some sort of protection or insurance. Um, and and that's, so that's a, that's the very reason that they exist. And um, But, yeah, it really is. Um, less than you would expect mm. um, that, that these sort of um, issues arise. Yeah. And uh, what's what's your personal story with coming through to um, the Sharing Hub and how did you sort of find yourself um, at the centre of um, this particular part of the economy? Yeah, so I um, founded Spacer, uh, which is an online marketplace for sharing um, uh, storage and parking space, so essentially 
allowing neighbours to share, um, whether it's a garage or car park space, um, that they're not utilising um, to others in their in their local area. Um, and I just, you know, discovered there's so much empty space around us, so, you know, why not, you know, tap into it um, rather than travelling, you know, 5, 10Ks to a big you know, coloured shed in, in an industrial area and paying a fortune. So, mm. And I hooked up with, you know, a bunch of other smart and really nice um, founders in the sharing economy. So guys like Will Davies from Car Next Door, they do peer-to-peer car sharing. Um, guys like Steve Orenstein from um, Zoom to You, they do peer-to-peer parcel delivery. Alexis from Mad Paws, they do peer-to-peer pet sitting. Um, you know, the guys from Campify that, that allow you to um, rent or, or share your caravan. So if you want to go on a holiday, but you don't want to own a caravan. And um, I really just got present to the fact that this is a this is a really big um, market, and um, you know we, we all started sharing learnings, um, of course, because it's a new industry. We're kind of writing the script as we go, mm. um, and um, yeah, so we, we started this um, essentially a, a a group, a meetup called the Sharing Hub, um, and now we've got over twenty eight um, sharing economy businesses um, that join us every couple of months, and um, we really work on sort of you know building great customer experience across the whole economy mm. um, and, um, you know, working with government. Um, we're putting on a community event up in Sydney um, next month to coincide with Global Sharing Week. So there'll be 20-odd sharing economy businesses, um, you know, educating consumers on how they can make an extra income, um, passive income, you know, tapping into, you know, the sharing you know, whether it's their caravan or their car or the garage or some of their spare time, um, you know, if, if they're looking to make a bit of extra, bit of extra money. So, mm. um, yeah, it just, it just makes sense. Yeah. What are some of the um, stranger things or stranger ideas that you've um, come across in the past year? Like, what kinds of things could I could I be sharing in my uh, in my world that you that I wouldn't have thought of? Um, look, it's interesting. There's um, some, you know. The, it's really open to your creativity. Um, some of the more interesting ones, uh, there's one called Sued by Us, where you can, um, if you love cooking, you can, um, you know, whether it's, you know, baking cakes or, or mm. meals, you can share that with other people in your community. So you can basically cook for your family and make some extra food and, and then sort of share that. that that's been really well. That's a great idea. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, people have a passion and that's something they like doing, um, you know, they can do more of it, basically, and, and make some extra income from that. It might be unpopular, um, but I like the idea of a shoe library. Um, a friend of mine was <laughs> living in a communal house, and they had the uh, they had a like a clothing library as well, which was great. They had communal clothes, which seemed like an amazing idea. Um, but um, yeah, she was very um, touchy feely about her shoes. She didn't want anyone wearing her shoes. But um, yeah, I think there's so much stuff. Well, there is. There's. Sorry, you go. No, no, you go. Yeah. Um, actually, you, you're just reminded me. There is one in um, out of WA called the Vault, and they allow you to rent out your sort of high-end clothing and, and sort of accessories when you're not using it. Because most people, well, I suppose particularly um, you know uh, women, only like to wear you know a special dress once, or you know they don't want to be seen twice in it. Mm. So it's what I understand from my wife. Um, and Prince, you yeah. Know, you've used you. Uh, you know, it's still in pristine condition. You know, why not rent it out to someone else and um, let them sort of get some enjoyment from it and save a bit of money? So it's kind of, it's quite ecologically um, friendly as well. 
accessing a lot of these services. Um, we don't have to kind of, you know, um, create 100 dresses, uh, you know, to, to only be worn sort of once um, each. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Mm. So, uh, for, for people out there, um, and um, I, I'd suggest a lot of our listeners are pretty able and could probably get something up pretty quickly, what what advice would you give to anyone thinking of starting a, a sharing service? What's What are some of the key elements to success? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess there's a couple of ways. One is if you want to, you know, if you want to start a service, I think, you know, start with what is it that you're passionate about and where can you see gaps in the market? Perhaps from your own experience, you've, you know, you, you, you've experienced um, a particular pain point in the market. Maybe the service wasn't particularly good. You know, businesses like Car Next Door, the reason they exist is because it's not not a great experience to go to a car rental company and hire a car for the day. So they've, they've made that experience much easier. You can just sort of, you know, get on their app and, and just, you know, pick one up off, off your neighbour. Um, it's, it's really easy. So, yeah, if you can think of um, a problem that's out there um, en masse and then, you know, think of creative solutions, um, I think that's, that's always a good start. And the other way is, you know, perhaps you want to earn some extra money um, and you can tap into some of these marketplaces that already exist and offer your services or offer up your assets. Um, that, that's another great way to get started too. Um, a lot of people are multi-apping, so they're on multiple marketplaces. Um, they might be providing some of their time on a marketplace like Airtasker. They might be renting their caravan when they're not using it, uh, renting their car out, renting their garage out on, on platforms like Spaces. So... You can really earn quite a lot of money just um, renting out what you have and that you're not currently using. I reckon there's a, the, and, uh, as I said, there's a lot of um, a lot of speedboats sitting out there doing nothing that I reckon would be great fun. Go go up to Bonnie Dune for for the weekend um, at a cheap rates. Yeah, well, that well that, that that's a market that I haven't seen take off here in Australia. Certainly in the US and other markets, there are mm. boat sharing um, platforms. So yeah, that that could be a good one for someone to. Um, to pick up on someone who's a, a boaty or passionate about their boats, yeah. Boat, boat rabbit. We've got it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it sounds cool. Um, so if if, um, if people do have uh, a service or if they're looking to get some support, I guess, are you guys just dealing specifically with um, uh, New South Wales businesses for now? I, I know you're in Sydney, but can anyone around Australia sort of tap into what you guys offer? Yeah, absolutely. We're very open and really keen to network with people who are passionate about the sharing economy and starting up businesses in the sharing economy. So definitely reach out to us. Our website is um, thesharinghub.com.au and and certainly reach out. Um, We we have different programs for startups, you know, businesses that are a bit more mature, different events. um, And, um, yeah, we'd love to to chat and help where we can. Um, We've got a great network of... um, of founders, of investors, mentors, um, and um, it's really growing, you know, organically by, by stealth. Um, and and um, yeah, it's a great, great, great bunch of people that are really passionate about this space. So um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Mm, yeah, I'm definitely keen to check out uh, Mad Paws and get myself a greyhound for the weekend or something. I'd, I'd knit, a, uh, <laughs> knit a little sweater. Yeah, it'd be great. Funny at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Mike, thanks for your time tonight. Okay, thanks very much, Warren. Uh, we've got a few more minutes left on the show. Uh, we do have a few uh, interesting things and, um, uh, I guess, events and stuff that we wanted to um, point out. Um, 
Melbourne does like a bit of rock climbing. Um, I've, I've done it on and off over the past 10 years or so, and there's um, there's a good new one not far from here over in Brunswick, um, North Walls, I think, um, that is worth checking out. But I did see some um, rock climbing tech news um, this week. Um, it is an outdoor sport, um, as you would imagine, Joe. So when it rains... Um, it can be pretty hard and people get a bit forlorn. So people head indoors and um, some smart people at Dartmouth College in the UK have developed a technique to bring the outdoors in. They've gone out and mapped uh, two um, popular um, test pieces, climbs uh, from around the world called Things As They Are Now uh, in New Hampshire and Pilgrimage in Utah. Um, what the team from uh, Dartmouth College did was um, filmed uh, climbers as they ascended um, what they call the crux section of a climb, which is the kind of hard part of kind of the mental puzzle that a climb can be. Um, and then they filmed um, people um, solving it and the formations that they made and the positions they, that they got into on that particular piece of the wall. So if you can imagine trying to um, 3D map uh, a wall, you don't know how people are going to use it. So you don't know what you need to make. So as part of this modelling, they figured out exactly what people did and then they're able to recreate um, those climbs indoors um, using the um, moulds and um, they brought some of these famous climbs inside. Do you, as a climber, try and find multiple ways of solving a climb? Well, the thing the thing about outdoor climbing is you can do it any way you want. So you can kind of fumble your way up it or you can kind of do it the proper way or you can get yourself into all kinds of crazy positions and, and whatnot. Um, but the harder it gets, the more the case is that there's only one way to do it. There's only a particular sequence that you need to do. So in this situation, if they're working on really hard climbs um, that they've chosen, there's probably only really one way that you can do it and there's a specific sequence that you have to kind of follow. Um, there was a great story in um, uh, the weekend papers a, a week back. Um, we've got some of the best women climbers in the world and one of the best uh, female climbers right now is um, only 16 years old and she's climbing uh, almost as well as um, the best men and women in the world. Um, so we've got good climbing pedigree here. Um, but that's great. I think it's really fun that they've figured out a way just to take the most important bits. You don't need the whole cliff. You just need the bits that people are actually going to touch, which are only a few centimetres here and there, um, and recreate them indoors. Solving everything with technology. Solving everything with technology. Um, one of the things that we haven't been able to solve is where and where not you're allowed to play Pokemon Go. Um, a man who played Pokemon Go in a Russian church uh, is now facing years uh, in prison. Um, last summer, Ruslan Sokolovsky um, entered the uh, Church of All Saint in, uh, I can't say this, uh, one of the Bergs um, uh, east of Moscow. Um, it's a Russian Orthodox church. Um, that um, ha has quite special meaning to, to people in the area. But he wasn't there um, to pay tribute. Um, he's a blogger. He wandered in. Um, he was uh, playing Pokemon Go. And he had been uh, tempted to catch the rarest Pokemon that you could find there, Jesus. Um, <laughs> Sokolovsky, an outspoken atheist, said at the end of the video he, he recorded that day, they said it doesn't even exist, so I'm not really surprised. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, he's actually facing uh, 3.5 years in uh, prison. Um, so, I don't know, maybe he'll find um, um, some new Pokemon um, in a Russian jail. Do you reckon it was worth it? Oh, God. <laughs> Three and a half years, probably not really worth it. Well, there are some people who are pretty into their Pokemon Go. For, yeah. Interesting. Um, 
Another thing that I did want to point out, uh, if you like uh, novel controllers and interfaces, um, you can pretty much turn anything uh, into a controller, um, including Jello, um, a particular type of paint um, developed by the Carnegie Mellon uh, University team um, and their future interfaces group um, have developed a technology called Electric um, that uses a can of spray paint to turn almost any surface, including walls, toys, tools, furniture, steering wheels, um, and Jello even uh, into an interactive control. Have you ever felt that you needed more control around your house or, or workplace? It sounds like it's getting a little bit Cronenbergian, like a, sort of imagining like weird flesh controllers. Eat a chicken, turn, yeah, it, turn it into yeah. a controller. Or our friends at Bar Escape with, the, did they have a banana controller or something? They did. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, we'll put, a, we'll put a link up on our Twitter um, in a sec. Um, linking to that. So turning anything into controllers is, is heaps of fun, I think. I, I don't think we need to manufacture um, you know, sort of custom-designed, um, purpose-built stuff all the time. It can just be fun to paint a controller on uh, anywhere. Um, one thing that uh, we did want to also uh, mention was the crypto party um, uh, having a privacy for organisers uh, or privacy for organisers of actions, events and movement um, uh, events. Uh, let me get a little bit deeper into this. Um, there's a meetup going on uh, on the 16th of May uh, from 6 to 8.30pm at the Blockchain Centre in City Road in Southbank. Um, so, yeah, if uh, if that floats your boat, uh, you should definitely get on down and, uh, and check that one out. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Um, it's been fun hanging out, Joe, and talking about um, computers in prisons and talking about sharing hub stuff. What did, what did you learn tonight or what? sort of floated your boat. I learned I have a lot more opinions about about prisons than I thought I had before. Thought you had. Despite keeping very quiet. Yes. Um, thank you to our guests, uh, John, and to Mike. Um, thank you to all of you for uh, tuning in tonight. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, a few different people, but it will be bite into it again. Hope you have a great night. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.